Hello and welcome. You found the Social Work Podcast. My name is Jonathan Singer, and I'll be your host as we explore all things social work. So let's be honest. You didn't become a social worker because you wanted to travel the world. Even if you're somebody that's got the travel bug, you're a social worker. You're not making a whole lot of money. How are you going to finance it? Well, today's podcast is on how social workers can work abroad. Now, I'm a big proponent of living abroad. When I was 15, my family moved to Cambridge, England. And I got to be honest, I was not interested in going. I was supposed to start 10th grade at T.C. Williams High School in Alexandria, Virginia. You might have heard of T.C. Williams. Denzel Washington made it famous in the movie Remember the Titans. It was a story about how a coach and a football team helped the school and the city come to terms with racial integration. Now, the movie came out years after I graduated, and honestly, it was the first I'd heard of that story. But back when I was 15, I don't think knowing the history of my high school would have made too much of a difference. I just knew that TC was going to be a great place to spend 10th grade. What could I possibly learn by moving to England for a year that I couldn't get by hanging out with my friends in Alexandria? Well, it turns out, a lot. I learned that I loved chicken tikka masala and mango lassis. I learned that Eddie Murphy was the funniest guy in America only because Americans couldn't understand a word of what Scottish comedian Billy Connolly was talking about. I learned that some McDonald's in England charged for ketchup, a practice, by the way, that I self-righteously denounced in the name of all that was good about America. And speaking of America, one of the oddest things was that living in England made me feel, I think probably for the first time in my life, like I was an American. I found myself defending my country, explaining our tripartite form of government, explaining that not everyone looked, talked, or lived like J.R. Ewing from the TV show Dallas. I learned that just because I spoke English didn't mean that I knew anything about the English. I learned that Disney totally misled me when they said, it's a small world after all. The kids that I went to school with that year in England had a totally different set of values, social norms, career aspirations, career opportunities, sense of fashion. And I was totally surprised by this. Why? Well, because I believed that it was a small world after all. And I was wrong. My year in England taught me that my world was small. The world was very, very large. In addition to the realizations I had about myself and others... I also got to travel, which, as you'll hear in this interview, is one of the real benefits of working abroad as a social worker. That year, I looked for sea monsters in Scotland's Loch Ness. I went skiing in Sarajevo, Yugoslavia. I ate tapas in Spain. That's years before they became overpriced and hip in the United States. I sipped sweet mint tea in Morocco, and I ate wild boar in the French Alps on New Year's Eve. And all of this sounds very exotic. But one of the other things I learned about living in England is that it's not really that far to go to France. Spain is just a boat ride. When you grow up in the United States, your sense of distance is totally different. I mean, it can take 24 hours to drive from one end of Texas to the other. And it can take you 18 hours to drive from one end of Great Britain to the other. 
So after a year of mind-blowing experiences, I came home to Alexandria to find out that my friends had also had a year of mind-blowing experiences. Just that their year of mind-blowing experiences all happened together. And it took me months to catch up to all the inside jokes, all the games, all of the TV shows, the cultural references, the things that I missed. And to be honest, it took a little while for me to really appreciate how influential my year in England had been. And one of the things that I talk with David DeNinio about is whether or not going abroad as a social worker is actually going to help a social worker's career. And he argues pretty convincingly that, in fact, taking a year and learning another social service system will absolutely benefit a social worker's career. So if you're interested in learning more about what working abroad means, if you're really interested in traveling to, say, the UK or Australia, if you have questions about how do I finance it, can I bring my cat, do I need a license, do I have to be a community organizer, do I have to be a policy person, can I do direct practice, this podcast for you. All of these questions are going to be answered. In today's Social Work podcast, I speak with David DeNinio. He's a recruitment manager for HCL Social Care International. And David and his team of consultants are responsible for collaborating with U.S. and Canadian social workers to help them achieve their dream of working abroad in the United Kingdom and Australia. One note about today's interview. I thought that it's fitting that for this podcast on American social workers working internationally that I would interview someone outside of the United States. David works and lives in Toronto, Canada, and I was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We used Skype to record the interview. And so without further ado, on to episode 58 of the Social Work Podcast. So you want to work abroad, an interview with David DeNinio. David, thanks so much for being here on the podcast and talking with us today about international social work. My first question for you is, is there a difference between social work in the United States or Canada and another country, say the United Kingdom? Mm-hmm. Um, not really. Fundamentally, um, social work is um, the practice itself is constant across you know, the world. Within different countries, they have different structures, uh, different methodologies. But in general, it's just you know, helping people deal with uh, problems in their lives. Some countries obviously have a greater demand, whether it be, you know, working in, for example, Haiti right now or going to, you know, countries like the United Kingdom or the United States or Canada um, where it's a little more structured, but the demand is still there for social workers. So what types of jobs do social workers do overseas? Like, for example, you know, if I have an MSW and I do therapy in the United States, can I do therapy in the United Kingdom? Um, absolutely. When it comes to you know comparing North America uh, in general compared to say the UK or Australia uh, or South Africa or New Zealand, the job roles are essentially the same. Whether you're doing um, you know child protection work or dealing with adult mental health, you're still working at service agencies or uh, with local government, school boards, you know correctional institutions. It's just the intensity might change a little bit. In the UK, for example, it is the by far the longest standing 
uh, social work system in the world and you know with a, a very large population the demand on the social worker is uh, a little more intense than say um, you know for example in Canada um, but the job they do as a social worker uh, remains the same underneath the policies and acts of the various countries. So would I need an MSW to go overseas or could I have a bachelor's in social work? Is there any sort of minimum educational requirements? Yeah, typically the minimum educational requirement is a bachelor's of social work. Um, So anyone that has a BSW or an MSW um, has the ability to work overseas. Um, Again, in the UK, for example, um, where employers do require a minimum of a BSW for uh, a social worker to be employed as uh, be employed as a social worker legally for that matter. So let's say I have my BSW or MSW and I'm interested in going overseas. What, what, what would I actually have to do to get overseas? Like what's the process? Is there paperwork and visas and all that stuff? Well, each country has different requirements um, to work as a social worker in, uh, in their country. Uh, for example, in the United Kingdom, uh, you have to be registered as a social worker with the, with the country's governing body called the GSCC um, in order to register as a social worker in the UK. You do have to have a, either a BSW or an MSW. Um, in Australia, it's a little bit different. For example, you don't necessarily have to be registered with the, with the association in that country but again, uh, a BSW is the minimum educational requirement needed to work as a social worker there. Now, that being said, if someone does have a diploma uh, in social work, they can still work in the social care field in, in different countries, just maybe not at the level of a degreed social worker. So let's say I graduate and I've got my degree. How do I actually get registered in the UK, for example? Um, well, for example, in the UK, once you have your degree, um, you can actually download an application from the association or from the council online. It's about a 28-page application that's very detailed. It does require you to provide proof of uh, your graduation and your degree, including transcript, transcripts, uh, as well as work experience and references. Well, once that's completed... It is then sent uh, to the governing council uh, with an application fee. And then from there, uh, they go ahead and do all the background checks and processing. Uh, once they see everything checks out um, on their end, then they actually uh, include you as part of the register in the UK. Wow. So as, uh, you know, as somebody from the United States, I could graduate, fill out this really long application, and then be registered to provide social work services in the UK? Absolutely. And that registration is initially, it's good for three years, and then it's a a yearly fee after that to keep registered. Now, as part of the GSCC, they do require for you to keep up certain levels of professional development, attend a certain number of hours and training and, and work in order to stay registered. So obviously, I would get my passport and... Uh, you know, I was registered, I get my passport. Do I have to have an agency that has said, yes, we'll hire you before I can actually go over? Or can I just, you know, <laughs> get on a plane and head over to the UK and say, need a social worker? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of different options available. Um, 
if one of the things that we suggest to most social workers who want to work internationally, especially, for example, in the UK, is to dig into your family backgrounds, find out if you have uh, family dating back to, say, parents or grandparents that are, are born in that country. For example, again, in the UK, uh, if you have grandparents um, that are of British citizenship, then you are eligible to get a, a UK ancestry visa. Uh, which essentially is almost like a British passport, allows you to go in and out of the country and work for any employer that you wish to. You know, if you have European descendants, um, you may be eligible for an EU passport, uh, which allows you to travel you know, throughout the European Union uh, very freely. If you don't have either one of these, uh, then you would actually have to get a work permit or a visa. Again, every country has, you know, their own structure, um, as far as visas are concerned, their own prerequisites and criteria. Um, again, because we deal with the UK so much, um, the UK has a multi-tiered immigration system. Um, underneath that immigration system, there's a variety of different work visas that are, um, are available to, say, North American social workers to be able to go over and work overseas in the UK. And so I can get one of those visas without having, you know, a job in hand? For a couple of them, yes. For example, there is a, what they call a tier one or highly skilled workers visa um, that you can apply for. It's a visa that you essentially own and it gives you the freedom, uh, the independence and autonomy to be able to work for any employer overseas in the UK. So you can, again, go over to the UK with this visa Pick out an employer you want to work for, whether it be contract or permanent, and you don't need to be sponsored by an employer. Um, there's another visa called a Tier 2 visa or a skilled worker's visa um, that does require sponsorship and requires an employer to present you with uh, an offer of employment before you can actually apply for the visa. For other countries, uh, for example, in Canada, for anyone under the age of 30 years old, there's a third visa available called the Youth Mobility Visa, typically available only to Commonwealth countries, where if you're under 30 years of age and uh, you hold a degree, you can get this visa as well without sponsorship from an employer. So it really, it really depends on what your situation is. I mean, if you have like 25 years of clinical experience and, you know, you're the director of a social service agency and... You know, you might be eligible for one of those highly skilled visas, um, Absolutely. which would be different than, you know, I'm 25, I just graduated with my MSW, and I'd love to spend a year in England. That's right, exactly. There's a lot of options available. Um, again, you know, the visas are, are dependent, um, you know, some are based uh, on a point system where you're given points for your education, your work experience, as well as your financial status. Um to be able to go over to the UK on a work visa, you have to have a certain uh, amount of financial stability, we'll say, uh, before you can actually apply to go over there. Yeah, when you say financial stability, do you mean that you have to actually talk about what's in your bank accounts? Absolutely. Um, the one thing that the UK government is trying to avoid is people coming over to the country um, and jumping on the social assistance system right away. So what they've done is part of the work permits that are available to other to international social workers, 
one of the criteria is you have to have a certain amount of financial funds in your bank account prior to actually applying for your visa. And then when you do apply for your visa, you have to provide bank statements as proof that you have that money in the bank to support yourself when you go over to the UK. It's almost considered like um, bridging money, if you will, or support money from the time you land until your first paycheck. It sounds like it costs some money to work overseas, to work internationally. Is is that true? And if so, how, how much does it cost? And, and are there ever things like relocation funds? Um, yes, it does cost money. Uh, the first cost would be uh, for some countries, again, like the UK, is paying an application fee to be registered as a social worker in that country. Um, the second thing would be an application fee for your work permit or your visa. Again, they vary depending on which visa you're applying for, as well as having, again, as I mentioned, the funds in your bank in order to apply. And then additionally, there's, uh, you know, you have to be financially ready for picking up accommodations when you're overseas, uh, paying for your groceries, your flight, a cell phone, other necessities that you'll require once you hit the ground. There's really no definitive amount of money um, or definitive cost involved in uh, international social work. We cannot say that, oh, it's going to cost you $5,000 to go overseas and work in the UK. Uh, The cost varies depending on the type of visa you want, the type of uh, accommodation you want, whether it be a shared apartment or a one-bedroom or You might even be staying in a hostel, short-term, long-term accommodation, um, as well as, um, you know, your flights. So, you know, it it varies depending on the person and and what they want and what they require. So it sounds like it would be unlikely that um, most social workers would um, get relocation funds or get financial assistance from um, a job to to move over there to, to do work. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, There's a lot of employers that are willing to offer relocation packages or relocation bonuses to international social workers. In fact, um, I was just speaking with uh, a social worker out of Chicago um, just the other day who received a job offer from one of the councils in the UK, and they offered her a very nice relocation package um, to help pay for her flight and accommodations. They actually put her up uh, in a hotel for two weeks until she could find her own apartment. They gave her money for moving expenses. Now, a lot of the relocation packages are uh, reimbursement. So you'd still have to be paying money up front for accommodation and flights. However, after a certain amount of time working with the employer, they would actually reimburse you back that money. And what types of jobs would those be? Would those be sort of direct service in the field jobs, or is that more the administrative types of positions? Yeah, it'd be uh, direct in the field. The majority of the positions that we deal with are uh, frontline social work or case manager positions. Um, you know, the social work industry is essentially broken down into three or four categories, one being children and family services, the second being adult mental health services, um, elderly care and management or gerontology and then the fourth uh, could be considered adoption and fostering um, anyways that's how it's broken down in the UK 
but by far the majority of roles that we deal with are frontline case managers and social workers. Um, but uh, as far as relocation, I mean, that's available to, it's really dependent on the employer. If they want to offer relocation for an administrative position, um, then that's fine. But for the social work positions that we deal with, um, there are a good number of employers that are willing to uh, help so, uh, international social workers out with costs. So how much would employers pay? And, and I know that's probably, <laughs> there's probably a wide range as, <laughs> as there is in any job, but um, uh, what are pay scales like in places like the UK or Canada or any of the other countries where you, where you place folks? Absolutely. Um, well, again, uh, I'll use the UK as an example. To come into the UK as an international social worker, um, you know, you start off pretty much at ground level, whether you have, you know, five or 10 years of experience, not that you're going to come in as newly qualified, but you cannot expect to come into the country at the level you're at, say, in the US or Canada, um, because you're not familiar with the legislation, uh, with the structures, the methodologies, the theories uh, in the UK. So you're going to be required to get into a lower position in order to pick up that knowledge and then as you gain more experience in the UK, you can start working your way up. If you're coming into the UK as, um, you know, a baseline social worker, say with, um, you know, a year to three years of experience, you could earn anywhere from 18 to, you know, 21 pounds per hour. And with the exchange rate at a, what, I think it's about a dollar sixty-five or dollar sixty-seven right now, um, that translates into a pretty good hour, hourly rate. Um, and then as you go higher, uh, that rate obviously increases. Uh, typically, the UK is known for paying higher salaries than North America. So let's say I get over to the UK. I've got a job. It, it, it's paying me actually more than I would get paid in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not planning on staying in the UK. So... Does the experience that I gain over in the UK and does the continuing education that I get, will that translate back to the United States? In other words, am I essentially putting my social work career on hold by going overseas? Not at all. Um, if anything, it's going to help better your career. Um, if you're over in, say, the UK or Australia or New Zealand for a year or two years and picking up international experience, when you come back to North America, that international experience, believe it or not, is very, very highly regarded uh, because you've got exposure to uh, different cases and different theories and methodologies from, a from another country that you can bring back to North America and you can you know, transfer that knowledge into um, uh, another workplace. Um, but it is very highly regarded. No, there's, you're not putting your social work career on hold. If anything, it's just going to improve it. And I guess there's a corollary, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little ethnocentric. I'm thinking about how, you know, my social work education or my social work experience might suffer by going overseas. But I guess the other question is, do, um, do social service agencies in the UK and Australia and New Zealand, do they value the education that, social workers in the United States get? Absolutely. Uh, well, I, you know, in the UK, from a UK standpoint, the US social care system is very highly regarded. Um, it, it's one of the, if not the biggest social care system in the world. 
um, you know, being from a, a superpower like the U.S. and um, having major metropolitan areas in the U.S. very similar to the U.K., uh, U.S. experience is very, very highly regarded and sought after by U.K. employers. Okay, so so my skills are valued. I know the process for going over there. I've got a job. I'm going to make more money. But, you know, let's say I'm in a relationship can I take my family? Do I, if I have kids, can I take pets? Are there any restrictions on that end? Um, well, let's take that in two part. Uh, one being um, a spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend or a significant other that you'd like to bring with you. Once you've secured a visa or work permit, there is a possibility of that person uh, being on your work, p- work permit as a dependent, um, that they can come over to the UK with you as a dependent. Um, some people option to have their spouse or their significant other to secure their own work visa or work permit for their job uh, to get a job over in the UK. So, again, there's a variety of options available um, to significant others. With regards to pets, believe it or not, there's actually, uh, again, for the UK, there's a pet visa, as we like <laughs> to call it. it, it yeah. It's called the Pet Travel Scheme, and uh, there are, are obviously requirements that and hoops that the pet owner has to jump through. For example, um, you know, getting a blood test done on the animal, having them not necessarily in quarantine for six months, but under supervision for six months before the animal is brought over to the UK. Um, but it, it is a very simple uh, procedure and pretty easy to do. It, it just requires uh, the animal to be watched and tested on a regular basis before going over to the UK. So let's say I'm dating somebody who's, uh, or I'm in a relationship with somebody who's a nurse or a doctor or provides some other services. Is it possible that both of us could get jobs overseas? Absolutely. Um, I really can't speak to uh, industries outside of healthcare and social care. Um, You know, for example, carpentry or IT or finance. Um, but there is a lot of job or job opportunity overseas in countries. The job market's starting to come back around, um, you know, in a, the majority of countries, especially in healthcare. I mean, no matter what, in healthcare and social care, there's always going to be a need as long as there are people around with issues. Um, so if you're coming, if your spouse or your a significant other is a nurse or a doctor uh, in some sort of healthcare or social care field, then you know, we can definitely help them find something because not only do we do social care workers, we also do uh, nurses and physicians as well. Can you talk a little bit about uh, placement agencies like the one you work for? Um, sure. What sort of services you guys provide and how somebody would get involved in that? Uh, in the international market, uh, in the social care field, there are a number of agencies, international agencies um, that a social worker can go through like HCL. Um, most agencies work uh, in the same way in the sense that, um, you know, we're recruitment firms. Our job is to get you overseas and find you an employment uh, as soon as you get over there. Um, in order to get involved with any agencies, typically you have to register with the agency first, which means providing them with some of your details, your name, your address, when you want to move so that they can populate the database with your information so that we can track when you first contacted us. Um, and then, you know, we help you as consultants, not necessarily recruiters, but as rec- consultants 
uh, step you through the whole process, um, help you work through all the paperwork, set out timelines for you and deadlines to say, okay, by this date, you have to have this paperwork into me. By this date, you should have applied for your visa. And by this date, you should have your flight arranged. Um, so that a lot of the thinking and, and anxiety is taken out of the whole process by us. Um, so, you know, services like HCL or any other recruitment agency, um, it's, it's very, very helpful in, you know, really taking a load off of the social workers back and figuring everything out. It sounds like really takes the guesswork out of how to get overseas. Yes. And, which is kind of nice because, <laughs> you know, um, obviously you've done this before and you know some of the hoops. And um, I know that uh, in my social work program, we learn nothing about how one might get overseas. So that sounds like it's a great service. Um, and thinking of the people that you've worked with, do you have any sort of success stories or, you know, illustrations of the kinds of people that you've um, helped place and what their experience has been overseas? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the process itself is, is not as daunting as some people may think. Um, you, you nailed it right on the head in, in saying that we take the guesswork and, and the anxiety out of the whole process. But, uh, for example, I have um, about uh, in November, October, November, um, a person called me. Um, she was based out of South Carolina. Um, she was a social worker with an MSW. Uh, had graduated about two years ago and had been working with the local uh, family services agency in South Carolina. Um, she had been thinking about, you know, going over to the UK for quite some time. Um, for most people, the thought about going overseas and working internationally usually um, is brought up during their education. Um, they, they hear little tidbits about, uh, you know, working overseas and, and trying out different cases. So this uh, individual contacted me directly after seeing, uh, you know, something on the web. Um, I think it was through a forum or a chat that we had been on and uh, expressed her interest in going overseas. Uh, she had done very little research with regards to what's required. So it was my job as her consultant to uh, really explain to her what the process was and, and lay it out uh, for her straight. Um, I had actually set out a timeline for her to say, you have to have this information into me by this date. So that, you know, from the beginning till the end, um, we knew exactly how long it was going to take uh, for her to get over to the UK and get employment. Um, so we stepped through all the hoops, as you mentioned. Um, she filled out all of our application forms. Uh, she got her, her registration into the local governing body. Um, and then about a month and a half before uh, she was going to go over, I advised her to apply for her visa. We talked about visas. Um, and she chose which one she wanted to go with. Um, she applied for her visa. And the, the process was actually, it, it was very strategic um, and very simple for her to understand. She didn't have to worry about um, timelines and deadlines, she could focus still on her work and what she was doing uh, in South Carolina while she was going through all of this. We finally got um, a landing date set up, so she had booked her flight. And about a month before she booked her flight, we had all of her paperwork done and ready to go. She was registered. 
And so with that, we actually started approaching employers. Um, so essentially what we do is once we have your paperwork in place, we will um, kind of shop, if you will, or, or go out and be um, proactive and talk to the employers in the region of your choice. So this young lady decided that she wanted to work in the south um, of England. So we approached employers in Brighton Hove, uh, as well as other areas along the coast in the West Sussex and East Sussex and Kent um, and said, okay, this young lady, she has been registered. She's got a visa and she's ready to come over. She's going to be landing on this date. Would you be interested in speaking with her? So uh, a number of the employers were very interested. We managed to set up some phone interviews and Skype interviews uh, with this person, uh, with the employers. Um, and through that, uh, we had arranged some interviews so that as soon as she landed, the day after she landed in the UK, she went for her second interview with a couple of the employers. And then within a week, she had actually been offered a job. Um, and that was um, uh, just at the beginning of January. So she's been working at this employer for about three weeks now. Um, she's very happy. We're staying in touch with her. Um, she's actually attended a couple of our uh, social events that we put together for internationals uh, where they can get together and, and talk to other Americans and Canadians and Europeans um, that are working in the UK and they can you know, kind of build a network of friends and contacts uh, while they're over there. So it was a very successful story, went very, very smoothly. Um, and, uh, you know, the timing was just set out right. And that's where our specialty is, is really, you know, kind of setting out the timeline and, and, you know, having us worry about making sure the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed before anything happens. It's it's almost backwards from what I would imagine. I would almost imagine that you would want to get the job first and then do the paperwork. But now that you've mentioned it, well, of course you wouldn't want to approach an employer until you could say, yes, this person can actually work for you. That's right. It's essential that all of your paperwork and your visas are, are in place before we actually go and talk to employers. Now, throughout the whole process, we don't actually do the paperwork for you. So we, we cannot apply for a social worker's visa. The social worker themselves have to actually apply for the visa. We can help. We can consult with them on how to fill out paperwork, answer any questions that they may have. But the majority you know, of the paperwork is actually done by the social worker. We're just there to answer any questions that they may have. But uh, in the end, we'll have a nice um, uh, file on them with the completed registrations and visas, be able to go to an employer confidently and say, okay, in the case of this young lady, um, we were able to say, okay, she has uh, an MSW, she's got her visa, um, she's got a couple of great years of work experience in the children and family services industry. Are you interested? And uh, the employers just jumped. It was uh, it was very um, again very smooth. Um, they were very interested in just the way that you know we present information on social workers. Um, uh, the employers really appreciate it that the social worker has gone through all of these steps in order to work overseas. And they recognize that. Um, as far as work experience is concerned, um, one of the common questions that come up is, uh, is practicum or volunteer experience 
um, considered by employers overseas? And the answer is absolutely yes. Um, you may only have six months of um, real world work experience, but for the majority of universities uh, in the in North America, you're required to do anywhere from about 800 to 900 practicum hours, which is about a year to a year and a half of work experience. Um, so that again is very highly highly regarded by employers in the UK, as well as any sort of volunteer experience. So if there's any uh, advice that I can offer uh, social workers that are kind of coming fresh out of school is, um, you know, get some volunteer experience under your belt, do your practicums and, you know, stick with your discipline. Um, one of the biggest issues that, that we have is, is social workers jumping from discipline to discipline. So going from mental health to, uh, say, children and families to elderly. Um, from the get-go, choose what you want to be in and stick with it right through. So, David, you just you just mentioned that um, social workers are interested in going overseas. It would be really important for them to stick with their major area, children and families, gerontology, adult mental health, things like that. But if I really wanted to go overseas and I wanted to be strategic about this, I guess the question is, what, where's the most need? Well, there's a need in all areas at this time, but the majority of the need lies in the children and family services sector. Um, you know, with populations growing um, and, you know, universities and schools not turning out enough social workers, um, that discipline uh, is really in desperate need of social workers, especially over uh, in the UK, as I mentioned. Um, they currently estimate that uh, about two in every seven social work positions in the UK currently remains vacant, which is an absolutely staggering number. And the majority of those positions uh, are in children and family services, uh, which could range anywhere from, uh, you know, basic child protection to fostering to, uh, you know, uh, children's mental health, uh, dealing with children with severe disabilities like uh, autism. Um, but that is by far where, where the biggest need is, is uh, in that sector. Well, so it sounds like there's there's a need for social workers. You know, you've described a, a way that your company can can help to make the process easier for social workers to get over there. And it, and it sounds like the um, skills that we have as social workers in the United States and our training and education that it's valued overseas. And and clearly, um, what we learn overseas will uh, help us be more marketable and better social workers over here in the United States. It sounds like a win-win situation for everybody. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of benefits for uh, social workers to do some uh, international work. Uh, one is gaining that international experience, as we previously discussed. Uh, it's very highly regarded when you come back to your country. Um, the second thing is the ability to uh, try out different cases, being being on you know cases. Um, and getting, you know, it's just increasing your knowledge base and broadening your, your, uh, your view of social work, you know, going overseas or, you know, becoming an international social worker allows you to practice within different environments and, and different, uh, structures and systems, and then be able to take that knowledge back home with you. And then, uh, thirdly, and what most people actually, you know, quite enjoy is the ability to do some traveling at the same time. Um, you know, that whenever we ask, you know, why are you interested in uh, working internationally, 
um, the two most common answers are gaining that international experience and doing some traveling. Um, and uh, for an example, with uh, something, you know, going somewhere like London, England, which is considered the gateway to Europe and only about two hours away from Paris, France, um, it's a great opportunity to go and, you know, see different parts of the world at the same time. The, you know, it's so funny that you <laughs> – I'm glad that you mentioned the travel part because I wasn't even thinking about that. But, of course, if I'm if I'm visiting England for the first time, um, you know, I'm going to want to know that I can go travel around and, and explore Absolutely. the world. Well, it's true. Uh, Paris is about a two-hour train ride from London, England. Um, you have uh, – Belgium is, I think, about five hours. I mean, you know, you, you're, you're within arm's reach of Italy – um, you know, and a lot of the European Union nations, it's, um, you know, it's a great experience. And, you know, again, it's going out there experiencing different cultures, different systems, um, and, and really kind of, it's not a, it's not work experience. We say it's a lifetime experience. And to be able to turn around and say, you know what, I did that um, is, a, is a great accomplishment. And you get a very, a lot of the social workers that we have dealt with um, you know, feel very proud of being able to say, you know, I worked overseas, um, you know, in this country as a social worker, and I'm all the better for it. Well, and on that excellent up note to end this interview on, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and uh, your insights into how to practice social work internationally. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today on the podcast. You are very welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time and. I can only hope that there are some social workers out there that uh, are willing to uh, try it out. I'm Jonathan Singer, and thanks for being with me today for another episode of the Social Work Podcast. If you missed an episode or have suggestions for future episodes, please visit socialworkpodcast.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit our online store at cafepress.com slash swpodcast. To all the social workers out there, keep up the good work. We'll see you next time at the Social Work Podcast. Thank you.